Hey, I welcome you who are watching online and also those of you who are gathered in the room. We are unbelievably honored you are here, whether you are at home or maybe driving in your car or walking down the street or you are in one of our seats here in the auditorium. What an honor it is to have you here. New series today. Really excited about it. You don't want to miss one part of this series. It's going to be eye-opening. It's going to be challenging. It's going to be helpful to you. So if at all possible, be present whether you're here or online over the next few weeks. All right, before we get into today's message, what is the mission of Forest Park Church? Why do we do what we do? Why do we gather on Sunday mornings? Why do we have groups? Why do we do outreach? Why do we do everything we do? Our mission is quite simple. Help people follow Jesus one step at a time. It's a process, and we want to come alongside you and help you take whatever the next step is for you. We want to help you take that step and teach you uh, how to do it, all right? So it's that simple and it's that profound. All right, let's jump into part one of our series, Mood Swings. If it were possible to see into the hearts and minds of each of you, we would discover every kind of emotion swirling around. Anger, shame, sadness, fear, joy, confidence, disgust, despair, gratitude, love, and no doubt each of you has solid reasons to experience whatever emotion you are experiencing. If you're experiencing sadness today, maybe it's because you have a, uh, a past year where you lost someone and you're still grieving and you're working your way through that, or maybe your marriage is falling apart or has fallen apart. Maybe you're suffering a broken body and sickness and it's just a tough tough season you're in right now. If it's anger, maybe it's due to no job, difficult kids, unfaithful spouse. If it's love, maybe it's because of new relationships, or maybe your marriage at some point this past year became renewed. If it's joy, maybe it's because you got new medication, or you got a new job, or maybe even a new puppy. I don't know, but you're feeling these emotions, and you have reasons to feel these emotions. I have experienced each of these emotions, and at times, I have experienced all of them within a 24-hour period. I have ridden a roller coaster of emotions for most of my life, and so have many of you. Unfortunately for me, the emotion I experienced the least was that of peace. I was not a peaceful child, teenager, or young adult. Instead, my dominating emotions were anxiety, fear, worry, and sadness. That was just me. In fact, I remember lying awake in my bed as a child, nervous and too frightened to go to sleep. I remember turning down invitations to sleepovers at friends' houses because I knew if I went, I would be miserable for most of the night. I remember being extremely anxious when I went to college and not sure if I'd make it through the first semester. I could provide illustration after illustration of my fears, worries, anxieties, and overall stress. Peace has just been out of reach for most of my life. And I know that there are many of you gathered in this room or those of you watching online who, like me, experience a dominating emotion, and it is not one of peace. Now, it might not be the same as the one I experience, anxiety, fear, worry, etc., but it's something. You experience a dominating negative emotion robbing you of peace, disturbing your sleep, troubling your serenity. And for some of you, anger is your default emotion. I mean, it doesn't take much to set you off. It's like you you live half-cocked all the time. People bother you. And it's not people so much, but their obvious stupidity that gets underneath your skin. Am I right? 
If I ask your spouse or your kids or your closest friends, hey, hey, tell me what is his dominant emotion? They'd say anger. For others of you, it's sadness. Life has kicked you in the teeth. You feel used, worn out, frustrated, spent. Others of you, shame. You feel dirty, guilty, yuck most of the time. You feel less than, not up to par. You, you wonder what people are thinking about you, and you are confident that if people knew the real you, they'd probably reject you. What is it for you? Hopelessness, despair, disgust? As if those emotions aren't challenging enough, uh, whenever we experience those emotions and they dominate our life and they control us rather than us controlling them, the tension gets really tight. In fact, for people like me and many of you, our negative emotions drive our decision-making and sabotage our relationships. Our negative emotions get involved so much so in our life that we actually filter our decision-making through those negative emotions, and it gets involved in the relationships of the people around us, and it affects them in a negative way. And because these emotions control us, these emotions create the world in which we live and move. In other words, our dominant emotions color our worlds, paint the scenery of our lives, create the characters, write the narratives, and craft the stories we live and tell. Poet John Milton summed it up well in the 17th century. He said, the mind is its own place, and in itself can make a heaven of hell a hell of heaven. You see, for many of us, our dominant emotions, fear, anger, sadness, anxiety, despair, have become our default And it takes a tremendous amount of willpower and knowledge and skill to override those negative emotions. And whatever your emotional default, you are hooked into seeing and interacting with the world around you in a particular way. And we all struggle with seeing the world as it really is. Because the truth is, you and I only see and interact with the world as we perceive it to be. Which means... Some of us interact with the world around us, including our family and friends and our career and colleagues, through the lens of anger. For others, depression. For others, disgust. A few of us, despair. You name it, we perceive and interact through it. It's as if we wear anger glasses or depression glasses. We perceive everything and every person through the lens of our dominant emotion. And it is affecting our lives and the lives of the people closest to us far more than you might think. Now, a few of you are saying the same thing that I used to say whenever this began to kind of dawn on me and I began to research and read and study out emotions and why I was struggling as much as I was struggling in those years. You're saying the same thing that I said, oh, come on, Scott. I mean, I I can handle my emotions. My emotions do not control me. I'm stronger than that. Really? Dr. Susan David, Harvard Medical School psychologist, writes, When I ask some of my clients how long they've been trying to get in touch with, fix, or cope with their particularly challenging emotions or the situations that give rise to them, they'll often say five or 10 or even 20 years. Sometimes the answer is, ever since I was a little kid, to which the obvious response is, so would you say that what you're doing is working? So my question to a few of you uh, who are living in denial about your emotionally unhealthy states How's your way going for you? Dad, do you see your inability to control your anger is the reason your marriage ended 
and why your kids are afraid to be honest with you today? Mom, do you know the world is not out to get you and you are not a victim? And because you think you are and respond the way you do to almost every situation that doesn't go your way, that's the reason you're miserable? Sir, do you understand your depression is slowly killing you and it has already killed so many relationships around you? Do you see that? Young lady, can you admit your constant fears and perception of the world falling apart is the reason why you never finished your education and why close friends keep walking away because they just cannot manage your drama any longer? I know that's harsh, but necessary. Because here's what I've learned. Many of us are emotionally unhealthy. In fact, not only are many of us emotionally unhealthy, it is possible most, if not all, the people surrounding us are emotionally unhealthy. Now here's why I say that. And this is going to sting. This is going to be a little tough as we kind of try to process this and swallow this. Emotionally unhealthy people attract emotionally unhealthy people. Why? Because we attract who we are. Emotionally unhealthy people feel comfortable around people who see the world and interact with the world the way they do. And this one, this next statement, is what stings. Emotionally healthy people repel emotionally unhealthy people. Because emotionally healthy people are pursuing self-awareness, erecting boundaries, pursuing the best lives possible, and most often those behaviors and values repel those whose boundaries and values are different, i.e. emotionally unhealthy people. And if that's not enough, when an unhealthy, emotionally unhealthy person attracts who he or she is and repels who he or she is not, one is left with no one to challenge him or her. Are you tracking? Let me make it more clear. In other words, emotionally unhealthy people build a culture of other emotionally unhealthy people and everyone passes around the disease and nobody finds the cure. All right, how about some hope? Want some hope? Because some of you are like, you know what? I wasn't even emotionally unhealthy until I walked in here today, and now I am depressed, and I'm in despair, and I don't think I'm going to make it. I'm calling a counselor tomorrow, right? Let me give you some hope, okay? Colossians 3.15, the Apostle Paul, the spiritual leader and father in the New Testament, is writing to young Christians, many of whom are new to the faith, and they are facing incredible opposition. And here is what Paul says to them. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. His words define emotional health. This is what it means to be an emotionally healthy person, especially if you profess to follow Jesus. The peace of Christ ruling our hearts. The Greek word here for ruling would be better translated as referee. When we read the word ruling, we think of you know, someone ruling with power and authority over us, much like carrying a sword or a scepter or something, and they're kind of lording it over us. That's not the word here is that kind of ruling. The ruling in this verse literally means to referee. So a better translation of this verse would be, let the peace of Christ be the referee or serve as the referee in your hearts. What happens when a referee blows a whistle in a game? Everything stops, 
until the referee can sort things out, figure out who's right, who's wrong, what should happen next. Only the referee determines when the confusion is settled and the game continues. So according to this passage, and I think well-researched science, peace should be the referee in our hearts and blow the whistle when something is wrong, when something is out of sorts, when something's offsides. Fix the issue and get back to healthy living. Here's why I say that. Peace is impartial, just like a referee should be impartial. Peace is a leveler, if you will. One can check the peace in his or her heart to determine whether he or she is emotionally healthy or emotionally unhealthy. So it looks like this. When any emotion arises, any emotion whatsoever, especially the negative emotions that disturb peace, when those emotions arise, The whistle is blown, the game stops, we begin searching for what's going on. Let the peace of Christ referee your heart. And when peace referees our hearts, we experience the ultimate benefit of peace, which is joy. In fact, joy is the default experience of an emotionally healthy person. As you read through the New Testament, especially the writings of Paul, you will hear him constantly refer to joy and the importance of joy. This guy's experiencing joy while he's in prison. He's experiencing joy while persecution is coming. He's experiencing joy when his life is not going the way most people would think a successful person's life ought to go. But yet he's experienced increasing amounts of joy in his life. Why? Because he has peace as a foundation and when you live and dwell and swim and move in peace the natural result of that is abundant joy the more emotionally healthy we become the more at peace we are and the more at peace we are the more joy we experience so let's put it all together just kind of using like a football game as an analogy here we are playing the game of life we're going to work we're raising our children we are married we have friends we're doing all the different things of life we're playing the game of life we become angry depressed anxious peace throws a flag something's not right Somewhere we are trampling our values or the values of others or someone has trampled our values or we have stepped out of bounds or we're off sides or someone has pushed us out of bounds, whatever. We know because the lack of peace has told us. So peace begins to reestablish order. Life continues and joy is experienced. What I just described is the journey of an emotionally healthy person. It's not that emotionally healthy people never experience anger or depression or anxiety. They do. All people experience those emotions. But peace referees their hearts, gets them back on track, and they continue to live a life of peace and experiencing joy. So here's the huge question that a lot of you have floating around in your mind right now. So, Scott, if joy is the default experience of an emotionally healthy person, how do we return to joy? Whenever I'm experiencing this or I'm experiencing that, how do I get back where I need to and get moving again so that I can experience joy in my life? That is the question, and we're going to focus on that throughout this entire series. Can't give it all to you today, just going to give you a little bit. Doctors Marcus Warner and Dr. Jim Wilder gives us a couple of steps here that I found very helpful. They're going to seem so simple. They're going to seem so elementary until we unpack it and begin to move into it, and you're going to see how profound these are. Let me give them to you quickly. Number one, accept you have emotions. 
Now that's going to seem like an, you know, not a very important step. Some of you are going, of course I have emotions. But it's, it's profound when you think about it. One of the unhealthiest reactions to any emotion is to deny its reality. Denying your emotions or resisting your emotions does more damage in the long run than accepting your emotions ever will. You see, some of us were told to push down our pain. Come on, be strong, tough it out, push it down, don't let them see you cry. Push down our sadness, push down our disappointment. Or maybe the opposite, push down our love, push down our pleasures, push down our laughter. And because we have resisted and denied our legitimate emotions, we are damaged. We don't even know what we feel anymore or where those feelings are coming from. Am I sad? Am I wounded? Am I disappointed? Am I angry? Am I hurt? What's going on inside of me? We don't know. Men especially are trained to resist any emotion that might be interpreted as weakness. Come on, be a man. Toughen up. You don't have to act that way. Don't let them see you sweat. Women especially are taught to resist any emotion, making them appear out of control or any emotion that seems as if they're trying to step over men. Accepting your emotions is critical because it opens the doorway for you to accept your strengths and your weaknesses and your desires and your dreams and your disappointments and your potential. In fact, accepting your emotions is critical to what we talked about a few weeks ago, self-awareness. If you don't know what you're experiencing and you don't know exactly what it is and where it came from, you don't really understand yourself, and if you're not self-aware, you cannot have healthy relationships with people around you. When you resist your emotions, you are resisting a huge part of who you are. So listen very carefully. Emotions are neutral. That's why I want you to accept them. They're neither good nor bad. Anger is not bad. In fact, there are things we need to be angry about. The problem is we're angry at the wrong things. Anger itself can be a wonderful thing. We need to become angry so that we get involved and fix things and repair things and get involved and make changes around our world. Sadness is not bad. We need to feel sadness. There are things in this world of which we need to be sad over. Hatred is not bad. There are some things we ought to hate. Jealousy is not bad. As long as we are jealous over the right things and fight for the right things. Emotions are similar to money. You can use money for productive things or corruptive things. The difference is determined by the hands of the person using the money. Same with emotions. It depends on what you do with your emotions. So the first step to getting back on the road, if you will, to joy is to accept you have emotions. Identify what they are. I feel angry because of. I feel sad because of. I feel disappointed because of. This is exactly how I'm feeling. This is why I'm feeling those things. Accept it. And this is huge, this next one. Respond appropriately during emotions. I wish I would have understood this a long time ago, especially when my kids were little. But the unfortunate reality of life is we have children and we try to raise them when we are probably the most unwise and most inexperienced. You become perfect parents when you have grandkids. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, okay. Emotionally healthy people feel all the negative emotions emotionally unhealthy people feel. Whether you're healthy or unhealthy, you feel all the same emotions, but emotionally healthy people are able to continue to communicate value toward others just as much during their negative emotions as they are during their positive emotions. 
Let me provide an example that will make that clear. Parents, there are times when your children make you angry. It's okay to admit that. They make you angry. When they disobey a clear directive, when they break through an established boundary, when they disrespect a teacher or pick a fight with their brother or sister intentionally, you have this emotion that rises within you and you feel angry at their behavior, angry maybe toward the child. An emotionally healthy parent feels the anger rising within just like everyone else, but remains relational with the child and adds value to his or her child even though there is anger. An emotionally unhealthy parent gives in to the anger, lashes out, screams, loses control, overpunishes, and sometimes humiliates the child. Do you see the difference? One is able to elevate the relationship above the anger. The other elevates the anger above the relationship. The anger is not the problem. Both emotionally healthy and unhealthy parents feel anger, and there is a reason to feel angry. There's a directive disobeyed. There's pain the child has inflicted on someone else. There's lying. There's all these violations of boundaries and values and good and bad and moral and immoral, and you want to train your child and teach your child. You're angry for a reason, but it is the response that is the problem. I need a scripture for that. Ephesians 4.26 Be angry, but don't sin. Do you see the separation between the completely neutral emotion, anger, and the failed response resulting in sin? Which tells me that you can be angry and not sin. And you can be angry and sin. It depends on what you do with the anger. Emotionally healthy people are able to calm themselves no matter the emotion and elevate above the problem the relationship with the person with whom they are angry. Unfortunately, few are able to catch their negative emotion before it gets out of control. And I see this over and over and over again, and for a long time, that was me. Still is at times, so I'm not implying that I've got all this figured out now. Why is it? Why is it that some of us struggle? Even though when we see it on the screen, when I talk about it in a service like this, when you see it in Scripture, you're like, yeah, I get it, I see it. I don't understand why I lose it. I don't understand why I mess that up. It's one overall reason. And this is a general message, okay? So we're not talking about all the details and the different nuances of every person's life. This is a general overview, but it's one overall reason, and it is a lack of maturity. I want to speak with those of you for just a few minutes who call themselves Christians, followers of Jesus. I want you to listen to me very carefully, okay? There is a difference between freedom and maturity. Some of us Christians are free, but we are woefully immature. How many of you know that just because you get older doesn't mean you get mature? I've sat in my office and talked with people, I've sat over a cup of coffee and talked with people who are in their 40s or in their 50s, and they are struggling with some of the exact same things that someone in their 20s struggling with. Why? Because after all these years, they still have not matured in certain ways. You've heard me say before, some people have 20 years experience, some people have 21 years experiences. 
They, they do the same thing over and over and over. Just because you are 40 doesn't mean that you are more mature than a 30-year-old. So a person receives freedom, and talking about those who are Christians here, a freedom comes through forgiveness and acceptance from Jesus. And we talk about it, we preach grace and forgiveness and acceptance of who you are, and we do the best we can to throw the doors open and say, you are welcome, please come, Christ forgives, loves, there's mercy and grace, but there is a difference in freedom and maturity, because maturity has to do with time, perseverance, and habits. Just because a person is free doesn't mean a person is mature. So what I see is a lot of Christians who give their lives to Christ and receive forgiveness and acceptance in the body of Christ, but they remain there for years to come and still struggle 20 years later with the very same things they used to struggle with. They are free, but they've not matured. Some of us gathered here, sitting right here in this auditorium, some watching online are struggling with some of the same emotional outburst, the same anger, the same jealousy, the same hopelessness, the same disgust, simply because we have never matured. We never grew up. And it is time we take responsibility for those emotions and say, you know what? This is not about being forgiven. This is not about, you know, reading the Bible more per se. This is not just about praying more. I need to mature. I need to deal with some of this emotional mess that I've, you know, accumulated in my life. I need to deal with it. It's one of the reasons why our mission statement at Forest Park is to help people follow Jesus one step at a time because it is a journey and we want to come alongside you and say okay here's where you are let's take one step here's where you are let's take one step i do not want to see people gather in this room pack this place out love the music clap and sing along with the songs have a few tears over the emotional songs or even over the emotional message walk out and remain the same that does not do a bit of good. What I want to see is us experience the emotions and the joy and the beauty that is in forgiveness and acceptance and mercy, but also learn how to mature so we're not walking out of here with our hands lifted in worship and get in the car and argue all the way home because we are free, but we're immature. Anybody tracking? Two of you, great. We'll keep, we'll keep preaching to the two. Here's a quick evaluation of your emotional maturity level. Say, I don't really want to take this evaluation, Scott. I'm fine, thank you. I want you to ask, this will help you to see whether or not relationships are bigger or problems are bigger in your life. Emotionally healthy people elevate relationships above problems. Emotionally immature people elevate problems above relationships. Here are four very simple questions you can ask. I'm not even going to put them on the screen. You can just write these down if you want to. Uh, four questions. Number one, do I avoid conflict? Do I avoid conflict? Emotionally unhealthy people tries their best to get away from conflict. They don't want conflict. They, they dodge it, etc. Emotionally healthy people says, you know what? I've got conflict in front of me, and I've got to figure out a way to deal with it. Why? Because the relationship is more important than the conflict. Number two, do I avoid people who upset me? I feel great until I get around this person. Well, maybe you need to work on the relationship with the person because the relationship is more important than the problem. Now, having said that, I understand there are some people, 
okay, who are extremely difficult, and you do everything you can, and it just, it, you know, it, there's no hope. That's not what I'm implying. Most people haven't gone that far. Most people just avoid conflict because they just want to avoid conflict. Do you avoid people who upset you? Number three, do I use negative emotions, shame, anger, fear, disgust, to control people and outcomes? And number four, when conflict arises, do I make people choose sides or do I reach out to those who oppose me? Emotionally unhealthy people just want people to choose sides. Either you're on my side or her side. That's a sign of an emotionally immature person. Why? Because the problem is greater than the relationship. An emotionally mature person says, I don't want my loved ones to have to choose sides. I don't want my friends to have to choose sides. I'm going to work this out so they don't have to choose sides. At least you try. Okay? That's an overall assessment, just to kind of see where you are. That's why we want to get beside people and help people one step at a time. One step at a time, because it requires help. So here's what I want to do for the balance of this message, and this is going to sound like it's going to take a long time, but it's not. A few minutes, we're going, to be, we're going to be finishing up the sermon, okay? Here's what I want to do. I want to give you six, the top six negative emotions, just going to kind of list them for you, and then I want to give you one step, overall, one step, no matter what emotion you're experiencing that you can take, they'll help, okay? It's a general survey, all right? So we're not going to get into the details of all this. The first negative emotion is anger. You, you typically experience anger when you feel like, I need to get away, something bad is getting ready to happen. I got to get away. Excuse me, I need to protect myself. That's what I should say. I need to protect myself because something bad is getting ready to happen. It's about protection. Anger begins to protect. Fear is I need to get away because something bad's about to happen. I got to run. Shame is someone is not glad to be with me. And I feel dirty, I feel guilty, I feel empty. Sadness is something important to me is lost, something important to me is lost, and I'm no longer myself. I'm sad. Disgust is something here is not giving me life, and I'm sick of it. I see that a lot in marriages. I'm just, I'm, there, there's no life in this relationship. It's draining me. I'm disgusted with the whole thing. And the last one that I'll give you is hopelessness. Because I don't believe I have the resources to handle this. I'll never get back to joy. I'm just, I'm out. I'm empty. I have nothing. Those are the top six. So if you're writing those down again, anger, fear, shame, sadness, disgust, hopelessness. Let me provide you with one step divided into two parts. Okay? So this is kind of a whole step divided into two parts. All right? Part number one. When you are in a situation when any of these negative emotions begin to rise and you are tempted to give in to shame or anger or fear, no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, here's what I want to see happen in your life. Here's what Forest Park would love to see happen in your life. Here's what I think will help greatly if we can learn how to do this. It's a very simple thing but profound. Stop and listen. Basically, push pause. Anger begins to rise, fear begins to rise, disgust begins to rise, hopelessness begins to rise. Stop, press pause, and begin to listen. If you are a follower of Jesus, I want you to hear me very well. When you begin to follow Jesus and you surrender your life to him, 
placed within you is the Holy Spirit. He is a comforter and he is a guide and he will lead you into all truth. Stop and listen because there will be a still small voice inside showing you the way of escape. Train yourself to listen to that voice. You don't have to give in to the emotion. You don't have to go through it. You can stop, pause, and listen, and you'll be amazed at what you will hear. Truth will come to your rescue and pull you out of some situations that will blow your life up if you don't listen. What you're doing is you're hitting the pause on the anger as it begins to rise, and instead you are connecting to the source of all peace and all calmness and all faith and all joy, the opposite of what you're feeling, and you are listening for that still, small voice of reason and truth and hope. Same thing with shame. A shame begins to gurgle up under the sewers of your life, you know, and comes up and tries to pull you down into it. Stop and listen, and you will hear a still, small voice of forgiveness and mercy and acceptance. Same thing with depression. Stop and listen, and you will hear the still, small voice of hope and a future. The second part of that overall step we take is to not only stop and listen, but focus on others. Just pause, stop, and listen, and begin to look outside yourself at other people. Learn to get out of yourself and focus on other people. Here's what I've learned. When we experience any of those six emotions, we have a tendency to withdraw and become self-focused. And we become inward-facing. Typically, we only get more and more tightly wound. The more angry we get, the more about us. The more fear, the more us. The more shame, the more us. The more disgust, the more us. And we become a tightly wound, almost like a storm, if you will, a vortex, and it's all about us. We gotta somehow stop in that that moment, pause the button, begin to listen for the voice, and unravel this very tightly wound mind and soul and begin to focus on the other people around you because you know what? More than likely, if you're angry, other people are angry. If you're sad, other people are sad. And as you begin to focus on other people, you'll be amazed at how it'll change who you are on the inside. I love this verse, Job 42.10, the Lord changed Job's fortune when he prayed for his friends. There is something about lifting your head up and out of yourself and you begin to look at other people. Folks, we can go on and on and on with this subject and we will over the next few but we have to wind this down. And here's how I want to end today. All right, Carla Beth is coming, and she's going to lead us in in one more song, and we're going to go. We're just going to sing the song, and we're going to go. All right? And as she does, I I want to give you a passive scripture that kind of sets this up. Joshua 1.9. This is one of those verses you ought to memorize, deposit deep inside. This is God speaking to Joshua. He says, I've commanded you to be strong, haven't I? Don't be alarmed or terrified because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He is with you when you go to work. He's with you when you go to school. He's with you when you wake up in the morning and face another day. He's with you when you go to the job interview. He's with you in your marriage. He's with you everywhere you go. So be brave. Be strong. 
I don't think I have to tell you that it takes strength of heart to get through this life. It takes courage to make it. It takes bravery to succeed. For you and me to be mothers and fathers and parents and friends and leaders and pastors and staff and employees, it requires strength and courage and bravery. And I'll be honest with you, I cannot do it by myself. I need help. So as Carla Beth sings this song, I want you to make this song a prayer. I want you to say, God, I cannot do it in and of myself, but you can do it. And I need you to make me brave. I need you to make me strong. I need you to give me the courage and the power that I need to get through this. All right? Let's sing this and make this a prayer.
so much for coming today. Whether you're here in person or online, know that God loves you and he will do anything for you. Thank you all so much for coming and we'll see you next week.